Thank you for being with us today. We would love to have you join us in person. To partner with us or to give online, go to www.upperroomohio.com. We hope you enjoy this message. All right, we're good. We have new power, right? Fresh vision, fresh power. Feel that's the word, fresh power, new batteries. God's recharging your batteries and you're getting new batteries today. He's renewing your youth like an eagle. You're gonna run and not go re grow weary in this season. Yep. So it's easy to turn something into prophecy and make you look really great. But that, I feel that. Like, God, he's renewing your youth like an eagle. You're going to soar higher and go deeper in him. So say yes. yes. Hey, I, I've had the privilege of being with Lave and Bob Hazlett. We were down at our church in Mexico. So yesterday I got back from a little 10-day jaunt kind of around the, the, uh, the part of the U.S. and Mexico. And um, man, I, I just feel so refreshed. I feel like I came back with fresh vision, fresh fire, uh, some strategy, um, but I came back with a new dose of the Father's love. And um, I feel like God's wanting to release something today, and I'm going to try to do it as fast as possible, but I feel like there needs to be a framework. I was ready just to come up during worship and just go after it, but I felt like there needed to be a framework of what the spirit of adoption is and what sonship is and what orphans and sons and daughters are and the differences there. So I'm going to try to quickly as possible do this framework uh, because it's been a couple years since I talked about the spirit of adoption here. And that's something I minister all around, out doing that. And, and I, I want to make sure, typically what I do is, like, you're the training zone. You're the guinea pigs. And then when things are really good here, then I go out and kind of take some of that out elsewhere. So I'm like, oh, this is great. Uh, but this is something that it's been a couple years since I've really went after it here. And I just felt like this was the week to do that again. And, and I believe there's a redemption thing happening here today. I believe God is redeeming the believers. He's redeeming families. He's redeeming your story. Like this next chapter is going to be amazing. He's, he's making new creations. There's a new story being written in your book. I really feel that, like this is a new story, like he's opened up the book again, and some of you have had that book closed, some of you are moving from a previous chapter, some of you are in the midst of a chapter, I believe he's closing out that chapter to start a new chapter, even with Micah and Meredith and so many others, and we've got transitions coming in the church, and we can't wait to tell you about some of that here in the near future, but, but here's the deal, I believe he's opening up our books, and he's, he's, he's writing a next chapter in our story. And I believe today is a day of redemption. I believe he's taking some slaves and making them sons and daughters. Maybe some orphans and making them sons and daughters. Maybe renewing our mind and, and giving us a new mindset, a new wineskin for this new season of wine that's being poured in. And here's, here's what I believe. I believe that, that God is doing something, and, and it's coming from some of us who are in a place of a pit. All right, I'm going to talk about the prodigal son. And, and there's a place in there where he's actually in a hog pen. And something radically happens, and then it changes. His season changes. And, and the seasons of those pits or those prisons, my, my wife and I, we're in this really weird season right now that it's one of the most difficult places we've been. It really is. And, and like, marriage is awesome. You know, we've we're, we're got some things going on with, with the home we're renovating and different things. But it's crazy how the Lord has used a home, a house, to get us to this place of vulnerability and this place of need, this place of desperation, and even this place, the best word I can say, we're just really raw right now. I'm tired, I'm exhausted, we're raw. 
feels like I'm kind of in a hog pen for a moment. But I'll, I'll, I'll tell you what, it has given me more need and more desperation for the Lord than I've had in many, many years. I don't want to come to a place or just do a program or just introduce new programs so that we can grow a church. I want to be a people of his presence, but I don't want to do it within my own might, my own power, or my own gifting. And I found myself resting on a gifting rather than flowing from, from who I was and flowing from a need and dependency on the Lord. And, and, and many of us, we can do that. Like, I can come up here, and I can preach a really good word, and I can just go for it. But, and have no prayer time. I really can. And I found myself sometimes doing that and not really having that intimate time with the Lord and just going from a gifting. And this has got me in a position the last couple months of a place of dependency on the Lord to say, not my might, not my will, but yours, Lord. <laughs> if you like heart messages, you came to the right place today. Like... I believe he's doing something in some of our seasons right now where we're, like Joseph, he was, he was supposed to be, he's the coat of many colors, he's supposed to rule and reign in the nations, right? He's supposed to be a ruler, but then all of a sudden he gets sold to slavery by his own brothers and thrown in a pit. And then he gets back to the palace and back to a prison he gets forgotten about, and then he ends up back in the palace. It's those pit seasons, it's those prison seasons, it's those hog pen seasons where we grow. It's that place of dependency in the Lord to say, it's not me that can do this. I, I can only grow things this much in my life, in my marriage, in my ministry, in my business. But God, I want your hand on it. I want your anointing on it. I want the crown when it comes. I want to be ready for it. David, the, the table was, was set and all of his brothers were there. And he was out tending to sheep, the lowest job in the entire family. And he's out there tending to the sheep. And they come to Jesse's house. And the king is looking for the next king. I'm telling you right now that the king, the king Jesus is looking for the next kings and queens to be the influencers in their spheres of influence. And he's pulling out the table and it's set. But guess what? Some of us, we aren't yet sitting at that table ready for it. And I believe this, he's making room and he's giving you a seat at this table today. So then all of a sudden, David goes through the rest of his life, and he's learning how to kill a bear and a lion, and he's learning how to throw a slingshot and kill the giant. I believe there's a redemption story, and some of us are facing some giants right now, and we're about to cut off their head with their own sword. I really believe that. I about had a dripper. Glory. Here's what I feel. David worked the rest of his life, and I believe he went through these Saul seasons and these things to press into worship. Saul's trying to murder him. And in Psalms, we, we see where David says, this one thing I ask, this one thing to dwell in your house forever and to gaze on your beauty. Listen, this is the place I'm at. Like, he can take my house. He can take everything away. I just want his presence. I just want to be with Jesus. I just want to be with the Lord. He's going to work it all out. I know it's a promise and it's yes and amen. But I just, in this season right now, I want to go from glory to glory. And even though there may be some hell in the hallways, you're meant to go from glory to glory, faith to faith, and upgrade to upgrade. And I believe there's a redemption story today that we're facing some giants and we're slaughtering them and pressing them under our feet. I really feel that, and I believe he's going to do it today by the start of sonship, by the start of the spirit of adoption, of knowing him as a good father and knowing our place as sons and daughters. And I want to really get it right into this. Listen, Jesus, we, did, we, can't, we can't just water down the cross and Calvary and, and what he did only for salvation. Now, that is the greatest gift. That is the greatest purpose, and I don't want to take away from that, but that was not the only purpose, 
It was also that, that the fullness of his glory will be released. He came to seek and save that which was lost. Some of us in this season of a pit, we may have lost our joy. We may have lost some things. We may have lost loved ones. We may have lost some tangible things, maybe even some favor or a position at a work that was supposed to be yours. But he came to seek and save that which was lost. And for the joy set before him, he endured that cross. Listen, the joy set before him is you. The joy set before him is the unification of the bride. When he said, it is finished, it actually was a singular word there, finished, which actually means bride, consummation. It specifically means consummation with a homonym, bride. So here he's saying finished. It wasn't just for salvation. It wasn't just to get you to heaven. It was also to get heaven into you. It was also in this place. And listen, look at this posture when he's on the cross. It was a posture waiting and ready for an embrace with you. That's the father in this prodigal story we're going to go through. It's this posture where he's got arms open and he's running towards you to embrace you. But the cross was also to welcome you into an eternal family. Listen, sin separated us from God from the fall of man in the garden. So he removed Adam and Eve from the garden, not for punishment. We, we, we have to quit looking at God as just a judge and a punisher. He's got 595 titles in the Bible. And if we need something, he's got a title and a nature for every single one of those needs. He goes deeper than our fears. He goes deeper than our issues. He goes deeper than our struggles and our circumstances and our trials. So, so here, he's also a father. So he removes them from the garden. He posts up guards there and never lets them back in. It wasn't punishment. If you read a little further in Genesis, it says if they had eaten from the other tree, it would have been eternal separation from the family. So God does this until he comes out, until he releases the plan of salvation, but also the connection and the bridge back to eternity to the Father, Jesus Christ. And I find it interesting that Jesus learned to be a son for 30 years before he ever ministered for just three. I believe we need to come to this place of submission, this place of need, even if it's in a pit, even if it's in that prison, even if it's in that season of learning natural skills like David, or even if it's in that hog pen, to say, Jesus, he's bringing us to this place of sonship, of submission, of, of dependency on the Father, and learning all about him. Jesus came to this place. He says, I only do what I see my father doing. I only say what I hear my father saying. He's learning. And in, and in John, he's like, God, if they, people could just see what you and I and I and you, if they could just have what we have. That's Jesus' prayer to the father. God is connecting us back to see him as a lovely daddy, as this giving daddy, as this, as this friend, as this, as this father who just celebrates us and lifts us up and, and adores us and has our picture on his refrigerator. And we're his happy thought in the morning. Like that's who the father is. He's not just this judge. So we get to this place in Matthew. And in Matthew 3 and then in 4, he's talking about this baptism of Jesus. And, and in this baptism, and, and many of you have heard this, but I feel like there's, there's a refreshing of this today. Many of you have heard me speak on this many, many times. Some of it's stuff I've just stolen from Lave, so I'm giving him a copyright credit right now. Some of the quotes, they're his, all right? Don't, I don't need any credit. Some of them are mine, some of them are his, some of them I just stole, all right? Because I'm a good kingdom thief. <laughs> Here's the deal. Jesus, he's coming to this place. He's meeting with John the Baptist. He's like, hey, you're going to baptize me. And John says, no, I'm not even worthy of your sandal straps. I'm not baptizing you. 
So what happens is they have this exchange. He's like, Jesus is like, nope, you're baptizing me. So when the Messiah and the Savior says you're going to baptize him, you should probably just listen and just do it. That's probably the place they got to. And John's like, all right, all right, Jesus, I'll baptize you. So here's what happens. They're in the Jordan. It goes down. Jesus comes back up from the water, and the heavens literally separate. And here's what happens. A dove comes and rests on Jesus. Listen, this thing that we're going after today, it isn't just a visitation. It's for a habitation. The Holy Spirit is not just looking for a place, a dwelling place, a temple, a tabernacle, you, a church, a ministry, whatever, just to visit. He wants to dwell there. He wants to make you his home, like Christ in you, the hope of glory. So this, 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 this dove comes and rests on Jesus. Listen, it's always there. We want to walk away and try to maneuver away from the Holy Spirit. Like, no, he always wants to dwell here. He wants to breathe on our service. He wants our service to be full with people dancing and shouting and screaming. Why? Because we're experiencing freedom in the goodness of God. If you are, if you only knew what was behind some of those shouts, if you only knew that story of Brittany or of, of Sue Justice, if you only knew their story, and when they scream out a shout in worship, it's not annoying anymore. It's not disruptive. It's not this thing. If you only knew Pam's story as she lays on the floor, if you only knew her story, you would so value what the Father's valuing in that moment. Like, you have a story, and it's worthy of a shout. It's worthy of a dance. It's worthy of a sacrificial worship. Because the greater we know God, the greater our revelation of him, the greater depth of our worship. We will only show the God that we know. If you only knew those shouts. Heaven knows those shouts. The Father, Jesus, he knows those shouts. So here's what happens there. He's baptizing. Jesus comes up. The dove rests. And then here's what the father says over his son. This is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. This is a great context. It wasn't about what he did. He hadn't yet preached a sermon on the mount. He hadn't yet healed the deaf ears or the blind eyes or raised the dead. He hadn't yet done any miracles, signs, or wonders. He hadn't preached the sermon on the mount. He hadn't died on Calvary simply was a son, and the father saying this, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. This is my boy, and I'm proud of him. Not based on what he's done, but based on who he is. It's what he's saying over you right now. It's not about what you've done. It's not about where you've been, good or bad, or how long you've been there, or what titles you have, or what accolades you have. It's about you're my beloved daughter. You're my beloved son. Be loved. Human being, not human doing. Many of us through this process we, in Christianity, we think if we behave, then we become, then we can belong. It's this thing of, okay, I, I have to earn my acceptance, then I, then I get my identity, now I'm accepted. It's, it's not a system where you behave well, and then you become, and then you belong. It's the total opposite. It's you belong. You're beloved. You belong so that you can become, and then you behave out of the love. If you love me, then obey my commands. That's what the word says. It doesn't say, obey my commands, then I'll love you. We have this system wrong about what grace really is. Grace also doesn't give you the permission to do whatever you want, and it's just forgiven. Grace actually gives you the empowerment and the revelation of the goodness of the Father to not want to mess up. The good thing is, we're not perfect. 
We measure process. We measure progress, not perfection. That's what God's looking at. He's not looking at your history. He's looking at your destiny, and it's amazing. It's so good. Your destiny is amazing. God has a calling and a purpose for such a time as this for you. Jeremiah 29, 11, I prophesy this over you right now. He has plans for you, plans for a future, plans for hope, good plans for you. Ephesians 3, 20, greater than you can ask, think, or imagine. His plans for you are so amazing. His plans for your children are so amazing. His plans for your grandchildren are so amazing. His plans for your business are so amazing. His plans for your ideas and inventions and creativity are so amazing. His plans for your songs and your books and your poetry are so amazing. He's not looking for more copycats. He's looking for originals, and he made you to be an original. I love what Lave does say. He says, be you. Everybody else is taken. So today, again, I give you permission to be you. Everybody else is taken. So we get to this story in Luke 15, and, and I've quoted enough scripture to make this a legal meeting, so I'm just going to paraphrase some more. Luke 15 I was reading and reading this over the last couple of weeks, just reading it over and over and over. And I started to realize some things about this story. And I've always honed in on the prodigal son because it's my, one of my favorite stories. It's, it is my favorite parable in the Bible. And I'm, I'm honing in and I love it. And then I started reading ahead of it. And there's actually three stories in Luke chapter 15. And it starts with, it starts with this confrontation, this healthy confrontation with Jesus and the Pharisees. I love that family feud name, healthy confrontation. It starts with this... He says, can you believe Jesus, this, this man, this teacher, this prophet, can meet with sinners? They're attracting tax collectors and sinners and, 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 and crazy people and divorced people and prostitutes and all these, all these people, right? See, Jesus loves. And Jesus starts to tell them a story. He, he's writing your story. I believe that's what he wrote in the sand with the woman caught in adultery. I think the point was that he was willing to get down and dig in her dirt and not care about getting messy. Like the Lord doesn't care about your previous chapters. He's writing a new one today. I believe that he's, that's what he wrote in the dirt. I believe it wasn't this thing about conviction and, and trying to prove something to the Pharisees. I believe he got down to her level where her eyes would have been because of shame. And he was digging in her dirt, rewriting her story. He's rewriting your story today. He's rewriting your destiny, and he's not afraid to get messy and get in your dirt and actually get some things that are deep in to get them out to move you onto your destiny. So all of a sudden, he gets down, and then what's he do? I believe he caught her eyes. I believe she caught the gaze of Jesus, and the shame was removed. And then he says, daughter, go sin no more. So the story in Luke 15 starts with these three, these three parables. And the first one is a shepherd who's willing to leave the 99 sheep to go after the one. The second story is about a woman who loses a coin in her house and the coin was found. Here's the third story is about a father and a son. Here's the thing that God gave me. He gave me this revelation that Jesus wasn't just telling a story about lost things being found. He was actually disclosing the father, the son, and the Holy Spirit. Jesus was telling a story, revealing himself as Jesus the Messiah, a shepherd going after lost sheep. He was revealing a story about a mother finding a lost coin. The nurturing aspect of God is the Holy Spirit. He promises to be a nurturer and a comforter. The mother-like nature of God is Holy Spirit. It's a mother who lost a coin and then found it and celebrated it. And then the father and the son, it was a son. It's this, and, and the cool thing about this story, it's not just a story about two sons. It's a story about a loving father. 
this is good stuff, but we might go past one. Are you okay with that? I feel like something's breathing here. So, so let, me, let me conclude. That was a joke. First service was, how many conclusions does Pastor Aaron do? I think number one answer was three. So there's, I just had to throw that in there to get one. So, so anyway, let's get to this story, the prodigal son. I want to I wrap it up here. And, and the band can, can come. So here's, here's what happens. We, we get to this story, and it says, so the father has two sons. This father has two sons. I find it interesting that it's a son writing a story about a father having two sons in red letters. So really, this father, he's talking about himself, had actually three sons at least. So it's a son telling a story about his father who has these sons. And we always focus on the prodigal taking his inheritance. But did you know the son at home also took his inheritance? He just stayed home with it. He took it prematurely too. It says they divided the wealth too and gave it both to the sons. So here you have the son who, who left the house and it says that he spent his inheritance on riotous living. What that meant was, and even later on in the chapter, the older brother who stayed home and who was jealous of the, of the other brother, he, he says, man, he spent his inheritance on prostitutes and here you're throwing a party for him? So riotous living was, was if you could imagine to today, you know, heroin and meth and, and prostitutes and partying and wasting it. And he gets to the place and he wasted all of his inheritance and he says he found himself. Now this is Jewish culture. Pigs are unclean, but he's in this hog pen being willing to eat the scraps of what the hogs won't even eat. And he's in this place, he's in this mess, and it says that he came to his senses. He came to himself two versions. He came to himself. He came to his senses. I believe this. I believe there was a spirit of adoption moment in that time where he came to himself. He came to his divine destiny. He came to his divine created purpose, and he actually had a revelation of what the Father had for him. And then he starts to rehearse, how will I repent? How will I ask forgiveness to the Father? journey back to the house and he's rehearsing this he's nervous and he's full of anxiety is the father really going to accept me I've just lost everything I've been in a mess I've been there a while is the father really going to accept me and he goes to the house and at that time if this were to happen there was a Jewish custom called Kazaza and in this custom if a son left prematurely with his inheritance, if he came to return to come back to the house, only the mother could greet him at the gate with a kiss to send him off forever for goodbye. Jesus, the Father, he breaks every custom, he breaks popularity to pursue you. He breaks what's popular, he breaks what people are think what should happen, and he does what he knows he could do. And he lifts up his, his garment because in order to run, you have to lift that up in what they wore in the time, which was against culture. Running for Jewish men was against culture. And what happens is he runs. And before the son ever got his rehearsed repentance out, the father embraces him. Listen, before you even have a moment to repent, before you even have a moment to ask for forgiveness or try to change your ways, God has already pursued you and embraced you and hugged you. That's how much he loves you. And then all of a sudden he's like, okay, man, my son was lost and now he's found. So he's like, he puts a robe on him, covering him in identity as a son. This is the identity. Listen, it's the robe that gets you to heaven, but it's the ring that gets heaven into you. And then he puts a ring on his finger. That's the insignia ring. 
That's the ring with the family signature on it, literally. And if you give somebody this ring, they have access to all the checkbooks, all the transactions, all every, everything. It's the signature of the family. And he puts that on his ring finger. And then he's like, okay, now the sandals. He's, he's covering his feet with peace to go. Sandals are meant to be put on your feet so you can actually walk and go. So God's giving you identity. He's giving you his inheritance. He's empowering you with authority to go in peace. And then he's like, now kill the fatted calf. Now this was the, the, the all grass-fed filet mignon of the time. This is like USDA's greatest price. It's the fatted calf. What happens is he's doing this and he's like, now it's time to throw a party. And we have the other brother in the background who's got this spirit of slavery on him, the spirit of orphan. There are so many differences between a slave and an orphan and a son. See, a slave thinks for inheritance and a son or a daughter thinks from inheritance. It's, it's, it's a slave and an orphan mentality to say, what can I get? And it's a son and daughter mentality to say, what can I give? An orphan, it's all about them. They don't know where their next meal's coming from. They hoard it in. They, they protect it. It's all about them. And, and, and it's like almost living in the Great Depression times. I have to hold this because I, I, I don't know what tomorrow brings. Whereas a son lives from inheritance. Oh, I know it's going to be given. We can throw away this manna because fresh manna is going to come again. It's this place of, of, of ownership and responsibility and freedom of knowing who I am and knowing even if I lose it all, God still loves me. The parable of the talents wasn't just a, a parable about stewardship. It was a parable about sonship. It was a parable that, that the two who gave it all, the two who knew they could risk it all, they knew that no matter what, they'd still be accepted and loved by the Father. It was the one who buried it. And the, Jesus says, because you didn't know me, you're cast away from me. Listen, that is not a parable of just finances and stewardship and using your gifts and your time, talent, and treasures for Jesus. It was a story of identity. The person who invested five or earned two was because they knew if they lost it all, the father would still love them. So the son, he's back at this house. He's like, and he's, he doesn't, he has this orphan and this slave spirit. And he's got this orphan spirit to say, man, he asked a servant to go figure out what's going on. He didn't feel he belonged. He's jealous. A slave and an orphan's jealous. A slave and an orphan, they try to push others down and they try to bring out the faults in everybody else so they look better. But a son, a daughter, they actually go low to elevate others, to celebrate others, to encourage and affirm others, to lift them up because when their stock goes up, everybody's stock goes up. about a good father. It's a story about unity. It's a story about bringing a family back together. The Bible's a beautiful love story to bring a family back together. The cross was a beautiful love story to bring the family back together. Why don't you stand with me? I, I want to I read this. I want to reference two scriptures. Romans 8 and Galatians 4 says that we no longer have to be slaves or orphans, but that we were, 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 were born with the spirit of adoption so that we could cry out, Abba, Father, which we could cry out, Daddy, and it says that we're heirs to the kingdom. We're heirs to heaven. Listen, our inheritance is Jesus. Our inheritance is heaven. 
And if things going on in our pit, in our life, in our circumstances, in our kids' lives, if it doesn't line up with heaven, then we have a legal right by the justification through adoption as children of God to bring justice to it. I'm talking disease, I'm talking financial issues, I'm talking injustices, I'm talking anything in your life. Because as an heir to heaven, if it exists in heaven, and I'm an heir to heaven, and I'm an heir, it says that we're brothers with Jesus in this context, then I have a right to call down heaven into my circumstance, into my health, into my life, into my marriage. There's not divorce in heaven, there's not abortion in heaven. So I have a legal right as a child of God to call that down in my life now. There's not disease or sorrow or depression in heaven. So I have a legal right to call that down now to the realm around me, in me, through me, with me. I don't know what your pit is. I don't know what your, what your hog pins things have been. But I'm here to tell you, it's a redemption story that God's connecting back to his family and his kids. Let me, let me final scripture, final closing. John 14, 15 through 18 says this. If you love me, keep my commands. And I will ask the Father and he will give you yet another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him or knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be with you. I, he says this, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. In Romans, it says, Romans 8, it says, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit through the spirit of adoption. Now, this isn't just... A thought. This isn't just information. We have to have an impartation that takes information to revelation for habitation. I love rhyming. Information means I've heard about this. I know this. I, I've heard people tell me I'm a child of God. I've heard, I've heard people talk about the spirit of adoption. That's amazing. He's a good daddy. He's great. He's a heavenly father. I'm talking the laying on of hands and impartation that Paul talks about. There's a spirit of adoption where his spirit meets your spirit. And all of a sudden, all the orphan thinking, all the slave thinking is just crushed so that we can be sons and daughters and cry out through our spirit, Abba, Father. Do you feel that in here? There is a, a, an atmosphere charged right now where God is wanting to pour out to his sons and daughters. Listen, I'm going to call whoever wants this to the front. And, and, and all I want you to do is just cry out, Abba, Father, in advance. You may have been, had this experience before. You may, you may have walked away. You may have, you, may, you may have never even heard this message before. But this is called the spirit of adoption. This is where sonship comes from information like, yeah, now I get to live it because I know who I am, I know whose I am, and I know I have a good daddy, and I know that he's proud of me because of who I am. That's the spirit of adoption where we can't reason with it, we can't rationalize with it, but we're no longer a pauper, but we're princes and princesses. We're no longer beggars or slaves. We're living as promises. I believe this. I believe there's going to be some life-changing experiences right now. You may have not felt Holy Spirit in this way before. You may, you may come, you may see things you may not have ever like, what? But I believe he is wanting to pour out. And I know it's late. So we're just going to get on with this. If you want the spirit of adoption, 
I want you just to come up forward and we're going to lay hands and we're going to impart the spirit of adoption. Listen, I believe sometimes we let you pray for yourself and let put your hands on your, on your heart. But I believe today that God is doing something through the laying on of hands. If you want the spirit of adoption or greater levels of sonship or greater levels of the Father's heart and His love, I just believe it's here today. I believe it's here today. I believe it's greater measures today. I believe this is a redemption story. I believe that He's taking old things and making them new. I believe He's refreshing things. I, I feel there's a river of refreshing here. Just feel that. There's a river of refreshing here. There's a river of refreshing here. So that's you just come up.